Well, that's tough. That's a uh, that's a stinging loss for the Indianapolis Colts to end their 2020 season. Kevin Bowen back. Another addition to Kevin's corner. Wanted to come um, at you on Saturday night and just get a, a quick pod, relatively quick pod up. And uh, Chris Presley and I will come back probably midweek next week, depending on you know when these season-ending press conferences are for Frank Reich, players, Chris Ballard, etc. And then we'll get to um, our off-season schedule. But um, man, that's a uh, you just feel like so many missed opportunities. And, and I think that's what especially has to sting for Colts fans. Um, that You felt like this was a game that you were very much in. And, yeah, there were some moments maybe kind of late third quarter, early fourth when you got down two scores. All right, is it going to get away from you? But sure enough, you had chances again late fourth quarter as well. Um, I think we'll point to maybe a little bit earlier in the game where you had opportunities, I think, to, to really play from ahead, put serious game pressure on Buffalo, and when you miss those chances, you felt like you were playing with fire. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is what playoff football is about. You know, you can play with fire and, and, and beat the Texans. You can't play with fire and necessarily uh, win playoff games. And that's why the Colts um, find themselves starting their offseason on, on Saturday night. Um, but, boy, the, you talk about a legit chance to pull off this upset. And we'll get into things that, that, that I like, things that I didn't like, and basically focus on the dozen or so Twitter questions I got that are just specifically related to kind of the game. You know, obviously we're going to have so much time for the off season stuff, but again, I wanted to make sure that we focus just on recapping um, today's loss. And then we'll have plenty of time to get into all that stuff. But um, I guess overall, just my thoughts, this was not some two seed just dominating a seven seed. You know, I, I feel like, and I said this on Thursday night's beers with Bowen, I feel like the Colts have a legit chance to make this a really close game in the fourth quarter. You know, I picked 31-24 was my score, and I said I don't feel like this is going to be a backdoor cover. I think this is going to be a, a really close game, and I seemed, at least based off I think some of the national chatter, I felt like I was in the minority. It seemed like everybody thought Buffalo by you know two scores and, and running away with it. Um, but really from, from the opening drive and certainly throughout much of that first half, the Colts, I thought, were the better team. And you were executing that blueprint, uh, time and possession, dominant. I think you had it for more than nine minutes than Buffalo. Field of uh, field position. I mean, you talk about dominant. It was a 15-yard advantage. Average drive start. Average drive start. I mean, the field's only 100 yards long. And your average drive start was a first down and a half ahead of where Buffalo was. I think Buffalo was the 15-yard line. You were the 30, and, and that's ideal. You know, forcing the Bills into those long drives. You know, obviously got Taylor and Hines going. I think they. Uh, I think your rush yards were over 160 for the game, over five yards per carry. So all those things, um, you know, in your favor, you, you certainly won third down. I think you were over 50%. Buffalo was two of nine that's the best you know third down team in the NFL and they struggle to that degree and just so many things were going right and if you showed me a box score before the game so many things that I would say wow oh yeah yeah Colts can have a great chance Colts can have a great chance all that stuff and you know unfortunately um the missed opportunities just and really all, all three facets of the game will come back to haunt you um I saw the stat from um Elias that mentioned that they're the first playoff team in history to have over 450 yards and no turnovers. 
and lose. So again, that just goes to show you um, the amount of missed opportunities that the Colts had in this football game. And, you know, we, we, we touched on it last week, you know, both on Monday's pod and certainly, you know, Thursday beers with Bowen, these chances don't grow on trees. And I think that is what, again, stings. I mean, outside of the fact of just being a fan, you want to watch your team play the Kansas city chiefs next week. And you want to have that hope for another week, but you also just realize that these aren't a guarantee. And that's why Phillip Rivers was so emotional after the game. And again, he's in a different age bracket, so it's a little bit different for, for, for him. But it was such a tremendous opportunity. You put yourself in a position to pull off that upset, and yet you squandered it with a lot of self-inflicted mistakes. Certainly Buffalo made some tremendous plays, and Josh Allen is, is a special talent. But you felt like it was a lot of your own mistakes in why – you are starting your off season um, here here on Saturday night. So um, I wanted to get kind of just some overall thoughts out of the way. We will follow, I guess, a little bit of a blueprint of, you know, what I didn't like, what I liked from the game. Let, let's start with what I didn't like. And I guess we'll just kind of rattle off these mistakes that were made. Um, I want to first focus on what I thought was the big sequence in which the game turned from you felt like the Colts were kind of in control to where now all of a sudden Buffalo was in control and really played from the lead and had a multi-score lead at, at times the rest way. But I thought the end of the first half, that's where everything changed for me. Um, I thought it worked out in the Colts favor that, that Buffalo ended up deferring that opening coin toss and you got the ball to start Colts got that early lead. And I think I tweeted this out during the first half, but definitely harped on this last week. I felt like the end of the first half was going to be critical, especially if the Colts got the ball to start, because that obviously means Buffalo gets the ball to start at the third, and you've just got to manage that end of the first half really well. And it couldn't have gone worse for the Colts. And certainly a unfolding of two minutes that I really am still stunned by, more so what happened defensively than offensively. But let's, um, let's start here. It's 10-7, three minutes to go in that first half. You've got a first and goal. Um, I think that Trey Burton, yeah, Trey Burton got the shovel pass on first and goal. Uh, Then you have the Naeem Hines Wildcat. I I was fine with both of those. You know, I I think they're both creative plays. Colts have had some success with them this season. And so now you got the third and goal at the one, and the two-minute warning happens. And I mean, boy... Frank said afterwards, he kind of debated, all right, do you go goal line personnel? Do you load it up? Do you use Jonathan Taylor there inside? Or do you do something different? And Frank decided to do something different with that pitch to the left with, with Taylor. And I just think in that situation, the second and third effort out of Jonathan Taylor in between the tackles was so potent for you. I mean, hell, him jumping over the line, I, I feel like is something that we've seen this season as well. You could go there in that situation. But when you go to that pitch, that leaves a higher amount of risk. And I just thought in that situation, um, honestly, I, I would have liked to have seen maybe a pitch on fourth and goal from the one, then third and goal from the one. Because I just still think that you are in kind of that two-down nature to where if you get stuck on fourth and goal to one, running or third and goal to one, running up the middle – you still obviously have you know, a very manageable situation to go for on fourth down. If you run that pitch, you run the risk for what happened. 
and you are seeing on that play, Ashton Doolin, who seldom plays, is in the football game there, and is having to block Mario Addison, who outweighs him by 50 pounds. And Addison blows that play up, and, and Taylor is in no man's land, and Buffalo swarms and makes a play. I thought it was a horrible uh, play call by Frank, and, and there was a lot of good that Frank did on Saturday. You know, getting Michael Pittman involved, the general flow of the offense, um, you know, you manage a pretty darn good early start to that football game. But when you're in the red zone, more falls on your plate. And in the month of January, you're held to a higher standard. And flat out, um, that was a terrible, terrible coaching decision and play call by Frank Reich there. And again, Doolin is almost left on an island a bit. Um, where's the thought of, wait, where? who are my all pros? Oh, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and Jonathan Taylor is showing, again, great second and third effort. With his leg, I mean, he keeps his legs moving so well. Boy, I, I just, I just hated that, hated that, 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 that play call. And I know that we critique and analyze Frank a lot. That's part of life of being a play caller in the NFL. But man, um, that decision proved very, very costly there. I was fine with going for it on on fourth and goal. Um, you know, obviously, kind of a near a near miss there. I mean, Rivers, you know, seemed like had Pittman, a diving Pittman there. And, you know, at the same time, you are forcing Buffalo to be backed up. But I thought that sequence, starting there, you have a chance to go up 17-7 at half, or at least 17-7, and then your defense is back on the field with, what, a minute 45 to go, something like that. I thought that that gave Buffalo some some hope there. And then all of a sudden, um, your defense back on the field and, you know, Buffalo moves the ball down the field. Josh Allen making just tremendous plays again outside of the pocket. Those two throws to Gabriel Davis were boy, um, toe tap, like just, just silly, silly stuff there from, from Josh Allen. And then the, one of the most boneheaded plays I've probably seen in my time covering the Colts, um, fourth and three. Buffalo at your 26-yard line. Um, you know, I asked DeForest Buckner after the game. I just said simply, and, and, and this was in no way for him to, was I trying to bait him into throwing a teammate under the bus? I just, it, you know, Frank really didn't give us a great answer on it, and so I just felt like some defensive teammate had to be asked, you know, did you guys tell each other before the snap? Like, watch. They're going to try and draw, you know, us offsides we have to hold our ground and realize that that's not going to happen. They're going to kick a field goal in this situation. And, uh, you know, Buckner just in the most quiet, you know, voice just said, yes, yes, that, that, that was, was discussed. And when it happened, I found myself saying, no, he didn't. No, he did not. Like, like, and, and, and it's kind of rare for me to um, like speak out loud like that in, in, in covering a game. Usually I'm pretty, I, I don't know if you know, stoic's the right word, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty calm um, and, and realize that, you know, I've got a job to do and, you know, need to kind of analyze things pretty quickly and move on. But I just had this feeling that it that it was Ture right away um, and not Al-Qadim Muhammad. You know, sometimes when you see 97, 57, you're kind of wondering who, who, who it is. But um, I said it. On Twitter, and I'll say it again, I'm not stunned by it. That's that's kind of Kamoko Turi. I, I think it's very fair, and I think internally, 
um, inside that building. They've wondered at times too, just, you know, how locked in is he? And, you know, sometimes when you see guys go off sides in that situation, it really is just kind of a, you know, a hard count early on in the play clock, or at least like midway through the play clock. But at that point, it seemed like Josh Allen had kind of given up. And John McDermott was right next to the official, getting ready to to call the call the timeout as well. And just what a boneheaded, boneheaded mistake by him. I you know, if you want to circle one play that just is inexcusable, that to me over anything else, um it's probably the play of the game because again, it gives Buffalo hope, more momentum, and it costs you four points. And now all of a sudden, instead of potentially 10 all, and who knows, I know Tyler Bass made a long field goal, but I mean, that would have been 44 yards, you know, weight half, rookie kicker. You know, okay, let's, let's say he does make it. It's still 10, 10 and a half. But now you give up a first down there and two plays later, Josh Allen's in the end zone and you're playing from behind and it's 14, 10 and a half. And now they get the ball start of the third quarter. Um, I'm such a big believer in game flow. And I thought that really, I don't know what the win percentage per se is, like from the ESPN stats and info or whatnot. But in my mind, that went from a, wow, you feel pretty good about the first half to, oh boy, this is going to be a struggle to win this football game. And just in my mind, it probably shifted, I don't know, 20, 30% chances to win that game. And I know that's not right analytically, but that play just was so deflating to me to see Torrey. And I, I think he got benched. I, I would have to go back and, and, and look. I, I don't think he played in the second half. And if you watch, I mean, Brian Baker, the defensive line coach on the sidelines, when, when Torrey goes off sides, I mean, he is just, it's how, you know, how. Um, in the playoffs, when you're facing elite opponents, you, you cannot get away with stuff like that. And Ture, you know, it's just, you're a little bit worried about him, I think. Again, fully locked in, mentally, things like that. Well, you better be a darn good pass rusher to make up for it. And again, coming back from the injuries, coming back from the injury, but he didn't give you enough. And, you know, how much can you live with? With that. It's just, that play takes your most dynamic speed rusher off the field for the second half. And yeah, the Colts eventually got some pressure, but still it, it, it kind of forced your hand a little bit from a defensive personnel. So I thought that sequence right there, the play call on the third and goal and the Turray offsides of all the missed opportunities and we'll rattle them off. That is what I think really has to make Frank Reich and Chris Ballard sleepless tonight. Um, the other missed opportunities in no order. I, I've got red zone. I've got clock management in the second half. And um, I've got drops and certainly the missed field goal. I guess let's go with drops, you know, six to seven. I, I Actually, it's probably more than that. I would say probably seven to eight catchable footballs. You know, Pittman, two catchable ones. And, and, man, he had a really good game besides that. You know, Hilton, a couple contested catches. It's like, all right. You know, I know it's early in the game, but man, that's a quiet. If that's T.Y. Hilton's last game in Colts uniform, that's quiet. I mean, was he, what do he have? Three? Three catches? Two? Two catches for 32 yards on five targets? And what? Those two catches came, I don't know, I felt like they were somewhat early. Yeah, I mean, the first play of the game. Um, you know, that bad again. Just 
just stinks. Um, I got to write that down to look it up afterwards. Doing a little work here as I, uh, as I record, um, you know, Taylor had, had the two drops. Um, just both of those were, were, were brutal drops, just wide open. And he had been so sound this year, one drop and 39 targets up until that point. Uh, the field goal missed by by Hot Rod again. Such a promising year for him, and so solid in many many respects. But I know we harped on this a lot when he was signed and kept on the fifty three man roster and beat out Chase McLaughlin. I talked about some things that were concerning a little bit. Length wasn't that big of an issue to me at the time. It was more of NFL pressure and and, and kicking outdoors. I guess on a more I don't know. A routine basis. Now, obviously, he kicked outdoors in in college, but I guess maybe a little bit more inclement weather. Um, but certainly, just just pressure. I mean, that's, I mean, kicking in an NFL playoff game and having just constant pressure throughout the season and just mentally, you could tell on the longer field goals, it was in his head a little bit. He was chunking those kicks. Boy, that 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 thirty three yarder. Yeah, it just it it just has to go in. Has to go in. Point blank period. Red zone, you're one of four. Matt Milano read the screen beautifully on that first drive of the game and uh, stopping Taylor on that screen. The Colts have gone to that a few times. Uh, then the the, uh, the other failed conversion is when Pittman and Rivers couldn't hook up on the fourth and goal. Uh, then you got stuffed, right, on the other fourth and goal? Yeah, because that was the back-to-back uh, drives of yeah 12 minutes and no points. Um Pull that up here. Was it a? Yeah, it wasn't a full. Oh, the back-to-back twelve minutes um, combined twelve-minute drives with with no points. That was hot rod missing the uh, missing the thirty-three yarder there. Um, let's see if I can find where that other fourth and goal was. So yeah, I I just we we talked about it prior to the game that red zone would be arguably the most important statistic in the game and Frank Reich mentioned that as well and you know I know I talked about it last Monday and even on beers with Bowen about okay when you get the opportunity to convert drives it's not just pounding Taylor and playing off that and the Colts did that beautifully for so much of that game but it also comes down to you've got to simply um, finish off drives Tennessee Last year in the playoffs, it's not just Henry doing it all. It's five of five in the red zone, and you go one of four in the red zone. Buffalo goes two of two, and that's a difference. That is a difference. Honestly, if you would have showed me just that stat before the game and not all the others, I would have said, "Oh yeah, Buffalo wins." Yeah, I mean, you, you can't go one of four in the red zone and they go two of two and expect to win. Um, you know that was. Um, that was backbreaking, especially when you when you think of, I mean, literally, you had nine real drives, nine series with the ball outside of that kneel down. All nine of them get to Buffalo territory. I mean, you moved it the best, most consistent. You moved it really all year long. Tennessee would be the only other game down there on that Thursday nighter, but this one, considering the magnitude, I would. And Buffalo's got a better defense than Tennessee. I mean, tremendous, tremendous moving the football. And you've got 24 points. And that might sound like a lot, but it's not. When you get nine drives in, ter- in their territory, that's not. That's not. And, um, man, 
just just uh, inside the 20 there. I think something that you have to look at long and hard again in the offseason, this is just another, and I tweeted this during the game, of when you get down there and you get inside the 10, your lack of mobility at the quarterback, quarterback position hinders you. You go one of four, Buffalo goes two of two, and look at the two Buffalo touchdowns. Josh Allen runs one in, and the other one is the fake run by Allen. Boom, kind of Tebow pop pass. Great design by Brian Dable and touchdown. Their quarterback makes two plays with his legs. Your quarterback cannot do that. And I know that's like a maybe a, you know, I'm simplifying things a little bit too much there. Like Philip Rivers does a lot of good for you. And, and again, I, I really, I thought Rivers played pretty well, honestly. But when you get inside that area of the field, you just get exposed. And the Colts, this was an issue all year long. There were some moments where the red zone was a little bit better, but for the most part, red zone, and even third down, third down was better today, but red zone hindered you. Um, and then lastly, I guess, on the mistake list, just just the clock management. Um, it, it's always been kind of my concern when you have a head coach that also is handling the play calls. I don't think they're as focused enough on challenges and things like that, and that challenge by Reich was, um, was awful. Just an awful challenge. And yeah, that's somebody from the booth, but Reich mentioned it. That was more of sideline yelling at him. Challenge it, challenge it. Everyone on the sideline, challenge it, challenge it. And they actually went to a TV timeout there. So you so you could have been patient with that challenge flag there. And Reich kind of pulled the Bruce Arians. Remember in 2012 when Arians took over for, for Chuck? Oh my gosh, he'd throw the challenge flag. <laughs> I swear he threw it 10 times a game. He used to throw it. I was like, man, he's testing out his arm, going back to his temple days. But, um... Yeah, just a just a terrible challenge by uh, by Frank. Costs you a timeout, and they and they take the other timeout uh, early in that third quarter on an offensive drive, and then boom, there you are, late game, and you don't have that extra timeout. Absolutely kills you, and, and like in a in, in an interesting way. And obviously, if if this game would have really turned at the end, we'd be debating the Zach Pascal fumble a whole lot. That was just an, a terrible non overturn by the NFL um, on that play, but. Sean McDermott has an extra timeout there. So he's able to take the timeout and then they end up reviewing it there. You know, Frank, if he would have gotten into position there late where let's say there was another big challengeable play with five minutes to go in the game and Frank only had one timeout left. He might not challenge it because that one timeout so precious and he, and he can't afford to lose it. And when you're in game again, when you're in games of this magnitude, those decisions rightfully so, get scrutinized more. The margin for error is so slim. When you're playing in the number two seed and that type of offense, they shrink even more. And so that's why you have to mention that. Drops, red zone, field goal miss, catchable balls. I mean, probably five outright drops, maybe six. And I'd probably put another couple on there that, that could have been caught. I'm thinking of, you know, Hines had one in the flat. Uh, you know, maybe one of those Hilton ones. But yeah, the missed opportunities. Just so, so, oh, I hope you guys aren't listening to this before you go to bed Saturday night because those will those will keep you up at night. Um, Just some other general thoughts, I guess. Again, I, I thought Rivers did a lot of good. I thought it was probably the most pre-snap communication changing. He had to do um, deal, deal with that crowd noise a bit. Man, I feel like the play clock was at zero on every single snap. 
the defense wasn't perfect, but you know what? I, I thought they were, I, I would have signed up for that defensive effort, honestly. I mean, 27 points for Buffalo. They go two of nine on third down. What I liked was the start. They had, what, three three and outs on their first four drives? I mean, again, sign me up. That's ideal. Ideal. Now, yeah, Josh Allen completed 12 in a row at one point, and, and yeah, there was, again, it was not perfect by any means. But think about how Buffalo scored, I guess, on the first two touchdowns. The first touchdown comes from them backed up again. Allen scrambles in the second and 10, gets the first down. This is three, three straight plays in a row. Allen scrambles in the second and 10 for the first down. Flick of the wrist, deep ball to uh, Diggs right over the middle. Kari Wills, big hit. I mean, just can't teach that. And then uh, he scrambles, he gets out, outside the pocket again and finds Gabriel Davis on the uh, on the sideline. And then they're moving, and they uh, and they score, you know, on the uh, on the pop pass. And then on his second touchdown, <laughs> that was the again the failed goal to go situation, and they're backed up. And I and I get the analytics, and Frank mentioned this strong go, and like I'm fine with that. I, I I'm not this analytics as gospel person. But like in a game of that that magnitude, I totally understand going for it there. And I'm not like I don't know. Maybe some of you disagree with me, but I'm not like super, um, you know, super just like rip Frank to shreds because he's all in on this analytics approach. No, I I thought the Colts needed to be aggressive today. I thought that was that was part of the game plan there. And I think sometimes it just comes down to execution, flat out. Like there was that other short yard, and I'm trying to scroll through. The, um, oh yeah, it was, okay, right here. Second quarter, you've got a third and goal at the one, and that's when Taylor just got stoned. Um, oh no, that was the, uh, that was the old, uh, that was, that was the old pitch play here. Um, where just, you know, Burton came in motion. I forget when the play was, but Burton comes in motion, you know, kind of, kind of a backside block similar to that play in Houston when, uh, when he had the fourth and one and Hines got, got stuffed in that play. It was a similar play to that. And, you know, your offensive line fails you there, but then, you know, also, um, you know, Taylor just gets, gets, I'm pretty sure it was, it was Taylor gets stuffed in that short yardage. So yes, it was some play calling on the third and goal, there in the second quarter, but then also there, it, there's a amount of just execution as well, where you just expect your guys to be better. Um, and rightfully so that, you know, your guys in, in the trenches, like flat out, they've got to win some situations for you as well. And um, I thought that was one of those cases there where you got stuffed Um in that goal line situation. Um, yeah, it's the, um, it's a two point conversion. That was the, uh, that was the other kind of stuff where again, you know, you're at the one yard line, you have these all pros. Yes. You go for it there. Uh, I, I, I thought that was the wise thing to do. And I know that didn't really matter because you end up getting the, the second two point conversion, but people were certainly freaking out about that. Uh, but go, going back to those Josh Allen touchdowns, he had the, um, he had those three plays in a row, the scramble, the flick to digs, and then the outside the pocket to Gabriel Davis. 
And then really, he made the absurd plays there late first half as well when he had those two in a row to Gabriel Davis. I think both were reviewed right on the sidelines. Like, just what's your defense supposed to do there? Honestly, yeah, maybe a little bit more of a consistent rush to where you keep him in the well and you keep him confined like you did in the fourth quarter. But still, um, I thought your defense, all in all, you know, played. Considering the the effort I saw, you know, out, out of the last, you know, what, month and a half of the season, that's pretty much what I expected there. Just a few individuals that I thought played really well. Michael Pittman, um, yes, you know, maybe should have hauled in that, that touchdown, but, you know, you really got to – what you had out of Pittman over the last month of the year, I thought that was a big step forward for him in his uh, end of his rookie season. Certainly, Jack Doyle, probably his best game of the year. And I thought Darius Leonard, for the most part, played like an all-pro. Yes, you were missing that big-time game-changing turnover out of him, but I thought that was um, that was a pretty good performance, especially early on out of, out of Leonard. So, um, again, just wanted to cover that, a little bit of what I liked, what I didn't like, and uh, we'll get into Twitter questions now. Not a lot of them, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll hit on them. All right, uh, this one comes from Colts Fan for Life. Wow, what a great game. I think we earned some respect today from Bills fans. Tough loss. We were in that game all the way to the end. I truly believe we played better as an entire team and could have won if Righteous took what was given to us. However, I also feel our ultimate Achilles heel was Rivers. His accuracy and his panic throws. He over under threw receivers, then had to adjust instead of running free, and that fourth down toss to the corner of the end zone was maddening. I feel a future Hall of Fame QB should make that throw with his eyes closed. So with Reich saying Rivers is coming back, can we just expect another heart attack year? Well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. You know, I know Frank said that, yes, you know, he would like Phillip back. I, I don't know. It wasn't the most confident answer that I've ever heard in my life. Um, Phillip also said, you know, he's has a decision to make. Ultimately, I, again, if I'm saying who's the week one starter, I, I'm going with Rivers. But we'll see how all of those conversations play out. The Philip Rivers that I just watched in 2020, I don't think it's that far off from what I expected. He gives you a floor that is high enough to make the playoffs, but I said it all year long. I felt like the ceiling for this football team was winning one playoff game. And that's where I think the debate about quarterback is. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like that much of a heart attack from Rivers. Like, how, I don't know, how many times in the fourth quarter do you really just make some costly fatal error over the 17 games we just watched? Now, they weren't in a lot of those situations, but part of that is because, again, Rivers is playing good enough football to where you're not in those situations. So, I mean, that's that's Rivers. I, I don't, I'm not ripping him by any means for today's performance. I, you know, if I'm giving him a grade, I'd probably give him, a, I don't know, a B minus. And, and a lot of that just comes from the lack of red zone. Honestly, I thought he made some throws down the field early on that were huge. I also thought he threw some balls up that I'm like, oh boy. But he gives guys chances. And Mo Cox and Jack Doyle, Michael Pittman made some of those plays. I didn't turn the ball over. Certainly you would have signed up for that at the start of the day as well. So I just think we know who he is. And this is it. Like there's not going to be a whole lot of wavering one way or the other. I mean, he's 39 years old. The guy's been in the league for 17 years. Rick Cardets, I was wondering why Rivers wastes so much time approaching Ryan Kelly every single snap, including the final two minutes. Defenses continue making moves after that. Yeah, I mean, certainly the play clock 
But I don't know about you guys. I just thought the last drive had a t- just major lack of urgency. Major lack of urgency. Moving way too slow. Not enough vertical. Um, you, you had one timeout. And, like, you need to get into, like, Rodrigo field goal range. That's not, uh, you know, Justin Tucker field goal range. You, you got to get down there. I, I just thought I thought it looked like a team that hadn't been in many of those situations this year, or any, and they hadn't. That was my biggest worry. Rivers from behind. But, yeah, I, I thought just uh, line of scrimmage communication, that, that you know, credit Bills Mafia. That 6,700 made some noise. All right, Michael, how did you fend quarterbacks like Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, and, of course, Patrick Mahomes? At this point, our D cannot stop QBs like that on a consistent basis. They got lucky against Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. We have pass rush. But is it that dominant twitch edge rusher that we miss? Yeah, I mean, certainly. You miss edge rush. And, uh, you know, you have a bit of an unknown future at, at corner. I mean, you, you better be willing to pay Xavier Rhodes. If you want to keep him. And, yeah, edge rush, he um, just consistently was not good enough at all. At all. Jake, I don't believe Frank will be fired or is on the hot seat, but will he prove to be a limiting factor on this team? How many times do you have to hear, I didn't adjust, I hurried, I made a bad call, I didn't have an answer? Um, You know, limiting factor is kind of an interesting phrase to use. First off, yeah, I mean, Frank's not getting fired, obviously. Um, he shouldn't be getting fired. That's, no, that's, no. Um. Let's look at the big picture. Colts controlled that game offensively a lot. Nine drives, nine real drives, all getting into Buffalo territory. I don't care if you're playing, you know, Jacksonville. That's impressive. Got Michael Pittman involved in ways we really hadn't seen. It, it just comes down to a little bit of that situational. And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on you know how you look at it, that's kind of just life in the NFL. I tend to think Frank as a play caller is an advantage more than he's not. And I know people will push back on that. Um, But I just thought overall it was a pretty well-executed game plan, well-scripted game plan. It just comes down to a few of those plays. And when you're on that level and when you're in that game, that's the difference. I mean, think about the Seahawks in that Super Bowl against the Patriots. You're one Marshawn Lynch runaway from Daryl Bevel, maybe being a head coach. And now look at, you know, where Seattle is and just, you know, not being able to get over that hump. That's where the missed opportunities come into play. So look, in the NFL, you're going to have a lot of ups and downs. And um, I think what you have to appreciate about Frank, and this is me, I don't know, maybe going out on a limb a little bit, but I just think Frank isn't stubborn. And I think he'll look long and hard about how he's handled whether it's running back rotation, short yardage, uh, red zone, and that will be a huge point of emphasis for him as a head coach and a play caller this this offseason. And it needs to be. You have an advantage as a play caller. You do. Frank is a better-than-most play caller in the NFL. But certainly, he's got room to improve. And, and I also think, honestly, like Frank's... Uh, Transparency is probably what leads to a little bit of this. If I didn't adjust, I hurried and made a bad call. 
And, and I, I also just think the Colts have got to get a little better personnel wise. And you know, I'm not like acting like that's all in Chris Ballard. Frank has a lot of say in the, in the personnel, but I just think wide out wise, um, tight end future wise, and certainly quarterback. I think you are limited in some of those situations. All right, David, is this too crazy of a take to move on from Eberflus? He is excellent at developing linebackers, looking back at his Dallas days. The Colts have issues developing other corners and defensive line. We have the linebackers, but if we can't develop other positions and we have a problem somewhere that needs to be addressed. Well, David, my, my, my first thought is, um, I mean, how much is that on position coaches? You know, kind of coordinator of the unit. I, I don't know how much of that is player development. You know, maybe some of it falls on you, I guess, because you oversee all of it. But, you know, I know the Colts have a new defensive line coach this year. That wasn't the guy they had last year wanted to go coach with Matt Rule in uh, in Carolina. I mean, I, I think people know how I feel. I, I don't love the scheme, but I feel like Flus deserves some some credit. I, I, I do think this defense has taken some strides. You know, I – you guys heard me say it all year long. I don't think this is an elite defense. I think they'll end the year probably in the 10 to 12 range. Said that so much during the middle of the year. Like, there's going to be a regression. I feel like this is a fluke to, to that, you know, high, high, top five, top three level. And they um, that's where they ended the year. But edge rush, corner group, yeah. And I just think there's been some misevaluations, really. More than anything, and some of that again. This is a collaborative effort, you know, scouting and drafting. But you know, from Quincy Wilson to Rocky Seen to Terrell Basham to Kamoko Terry to Ben Banigou, at those important premium positions, Chris has drafted really, really well at a lot of spots, but definitely not there. All right, I need a water break. Shout out to Anna Lubbers, my sister-in-law, gave me a great mug with a picture of me and Rosie Bow on it that I've been drinking out of since Christmas with a Kobe Bryant girl dad quote on it. I love it. Um, we need a little break from uh, from talking about that game, so hopefully you all can understand that. Okay, uh, especially with this question. Ooh. All right, Mac, um, that was pathetic. I'm sorry, but we cannot have Phillip Rivers back next season. That was a season of good, but just not enough. That's where Rivers gives you, maybe. That's what Rivers gives you. Oh, and then he followed up. Max sent then a little bit later. He goes, maybe I was overreacting, but I still think we are capped in potential. Well, I, I think a slight overreaction, but I would say capped in potential, honestly, is a pretty accurate way to put it. How I look at quarterback is this. How do you create the most margin for air within your football team? And also, how do you try and create the best opportunity for sustained success? Twofold. Like Josh Allen gave that football team for Buffalo today a lot of margin for error. I mean, think about those plays he made off script. When things break down up on the whiteboard, where can you do... Where can you get, I don't know, a little bit more? Where can you try and offset maybe a lack of a pass rush or average running backs or a couple missed field goals? And the quarterback who touches the ball in every play, that's where you can create that. And then obviously this sustained success speaks for itself. I mean, Rivers gives you a high floor of a team that is very capable of making the playoffs. But I just think right now, 
in this conference, unless something crazy happens next year, you know, expect Buffalo to be there. Expect Baltimore to be there. You expect Kansas City to be there. I mean, boom, three young quarterbacks. I mean, what about Cleveland? Uh, Tennessee has proven not to be going anywhere over the last four years. It, it just, to me, if you're going to do the Band-Aid, if you're going to do the short term, we'll see how, you know, I don't know. Let me check this Tampa Bay score. I feel like they're they're winning. Um, yeah, we'll see how that Tampa Bay games play play out. But these Band-Aid moves, these one-year sort of thing at the age of 38, 39, to me, you would want a little bit more than just one and done. All right, Brian. Isaiah Rogers seemed to prove he was not to be picked on when he entered the game. What's his ceiling? How does he fit in with Kenny Moore? Yeah, Brian, that's a good question. Um, you know, Isaiah obviously didn't play a whole lot on defense this season. What I liked about his film at UMass was I just thought he had some Kenny Moore instincts and competitive nature um, to him. I thought he was super, super competitive on the ball at at UMass. Now, I think where you have to be honest with yourself is, again, like you said, how does he fit in with Kenny Moore? Is Kenny Moore of that nickel? And then can Isaiah play outside? What about Marvell Tell? You know, I think that's curious as well. So it, it, it is a couple of what ifs, though. I mean, where's the jump for Rocky seen? Is there a jump? Corner will be an interesting position. Just to see Xavier Rhodes, that contract situation. TJ Carey's a free agent as well. And that trickle down. All right, Chris Shauna asks, really fun season this year. Thanks, as always, for the great podcast. I realize Josh Allen is a rare specimen, but it'd be nice to have a QB with mobility and the ability to put some zip on passes. After seeing quarterbacks like Allen and Watson, do you think Ballard goes all in on drafting a QB? Chris Shauna, I'll say this. Um... I don't know how you don't watch those guys. I guess the double negative, I should say. I don't know how you watch those guys up close and walk away saying it doesn't need to be seriously addressed. And again, for the reasons that I mentioned above, and you know, I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that a drafting of whatever, Zach Wilson or Trey Lance, means that the Colts will win more games in 2021 than they would have if Phillip Rivers was their quarterback in 2021. No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that a young quarterback with a different skill set can open up your playbook in some ways and then also, again, offer you the best chance at being a team that is making these opportunities happen deep into the 2020s. Because that's the thing. I mean, playoff opportunities and making Super Bowl runs, you've got to throw darts at a dartboard. I mean, you, you like a lot of them, but you've got to get in and get in and get in and see what happens. It's going to take a while, you know, Peyton, what, nine years before making a Super Bowl run. It, it, it is going to take, but you have to create chances, get in the dance and see what happens. But yeah, I, I, I do think that, that Chris looks at it and is very realistic. And I think part of that was the Buckner trade last year. Obviously, this team still has a lot of long-term answers at some very meaningful positions, quarterback, left tackle, receiver, corner, edge rusher. But I think the trade for Buckner last year was kind of like, in this defense, it's three technique, it's will linebacker, and it's slot corner. Those mean more than maybe others, but 
once that is solved, now do you feel like you have, you know, chances just to push your chips more into the table? All right, we got a handful left here. Billy, so if we have a mobile quarterback, do we get in field goal range? How much and how much do you think Ursay will have say in on bringing Philip Rivers back? Um, I mean, Ursay's definitely going to have some say. You know, the whole mobile quarterback, I mean, it's just, it's not that simple if you have a mobile quarterback. Boom. <laughs> yeah, you're guaranteed to get in field goal range. I mean, it, just because a mobile quarterback, it doesn't mean that you're going to have nine drives, you know, get into Buffalo territory like you did. Again, Phil Rivers gives this offense a lot of hope and a lot of success. But unquestionably, it's a disadvantage that this offense has to overcome his lack of mobility. Conroy, why not Jacoby on the Hail Mary? When Luck first came back, we brought in Brissett for a similar play, uh, but not for Old Man Rivers. I do not understand that. Could you brain that for me? Excellent season. I'm looking forward to the draft. You and Chris killed it. Thank you, Conroy. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I tweeted out Jacoby question mark. I was actually surprised the ball got as far as it did. To be honest with you. And Rivers was what? He was, uh, I think, 58% today. Again, you know, probably five definite drops. So, you know what, up to 65, high 60s. That kind of been would have been right around his, his uh, average for the season. But I just feel like there are still some balls that are just kind of hope. Boy, you really hope. You really hope. And, and what does another year do to that arm? I just think those are all honest conversations that you have to have. Scotty, who knew that kicking would ultimately cost the Colts a chance in the playoffs? Well, Scotty, I, I would say, again, there are other things that I would put above that. But certainly, you know, when you miss a 33-yarder and they make a 54-yarder, it's it's on the list. I don't know about you guys. I, I can't get over that Kamoko Terry penalty. I mean, what I would have paid to see you know, Chris Bowder, Jim Irsay at that moment. I mean, geez, just, but yeah, that it seemed, I don't know about you guys. I feel like the 33 yarder by hot rod, it took a long time just to get to the uprights. You know, to me, hot rod, maybe not to the extent of rivers, but like, they're like, you know, they're, they're kind of like the guy that tees off first in a golf outing that hits it, you know, 210, but, you know, he's pretty straight, pretty accurate, and you know that, you know, he'll be safe. I feel like that's kind of what Hot Rod and, and, and Phillip are. You know, pretty safe. And, and you know, they'll, they'll hit 11 or 12 fairways, but when they miss, oh boy, it's bad because it just doesn't have the same pop that maybe others at their position have. I mean, that bass, dude, I mean, that was a kick. I mean, Reich was shocked by that. Reich said it afterwards. You couldn't believe that he kicked it. Couldn't believe he made it. I see why Buffalo drafted him. Fourth rounder. They're a sixth rounder. All right, three more. Isaiah, uh, if you're in Indy's position, how many more seasons are you giving Reich as head coach? If Rivers returns, I'd say one. If a new QB comes in, I'd say two. Thanks for the great work. Well, I mean, Isaiah, you got to throw some win totals in there. I mean, if they go 10-6 and six with Rivers next year, you're not firing them. So I think a lot depends on your quarterback. And, and honestly, the wheels would really have to fall off next year with, with Rivers. 
I think for, for Reich to be fired. And, and a lot of it would again have to be, I think like in-game management mistakes, things like that. Offense really, really struggling. But if you could, if you get a, a young quarterback in here, I do think that that kind of changes a little bit. But, you know, I, I talked about it before the season started. You know, this is a very important season for Frank Reich and Chris Bauer to prove themselves without Andrew Luck. You go 11-5. and five, That's v- commendable, certainly. Uh, but I think we also have to acknowledge, again, this was the easiest strength of schedule. And, you know, where I guess where, where, where is kind of your, your measuring stick sort of with this? Is it, okay... You know, you lost to every playoff team, I guess, but Kansas City. And, you know, you obviously didn't play Kansas City. Um, now, very close games in all of those games. You really didn't get blown out at all, all season long. Um, so I think a lot of it, again, comes out of Jim Irsay's standard. You know, you haven't, what, you've won one playoff game since 2014. You haven't won a division since 2014. I mean, you haven't had a home playoff game. I mean, that's what, six seasons? I mean, there's got to be, I would say, over 20 teams in the NFL have probably had a home playoff game in that span. And I'd probably say close to half the league's probably won multiple playoff games in that span. So I know at times, you know, people are like, oh, Colts fan base have kind of a skewed, you know, sense of reality in the NFL, but I just tend to think that like, these are the expectations this franchise has created and they should have high standards, you know, like this isn't Jacksonville. This isn't Cincinnati. Like there is a high bar and, you know, here as of late, that playoff success hasn't been there over the last, you know, five or six years. And so, I do think that, that that standard is there. And I, you know, today doesn't change my opinion on it. You guys have heard of that before. I do think Chris Bowden and Frank Reich are the right people for this job. And I think they will get the Colts back to being one of the last teams standing in January and early February. But I also think that, rightfully so, the level of where this organization is at right now needs to take another step. Good football team this year. Good. Not great. Not elite. You know, if there's not that extra playoff spot, you're not in there. So I think you just got to be realistic and and honest, honestly, with the analyzation of this 2020 season. There was a lot of good. Some young players certainly have emerged, and your foundation has added some pieces. But now there are a lot of questions to answer this offseason, and you still have the most difficult question to answer. And that's long-term quarterback. And some might argue that you've added more questions. It's like, okay, Hilton's one more year closer to either being gone or, you know, whatever. Certainly not at the number one Pro Bowl level. Costanzo, who knows? Justin Houston, underwhelming. Uh, you know, again, what's the answer at, at, at corner? So, I, you know, Reich, hot seat. I mean, with Rivers, they'd probably have to go 7-9 to nine or worse next year. And I, and I get zero inkling whatsoever that Jim Mersey would have them on the hot seat. Or have Frank on the hot seat. Zero. If a new quarterback comes in, then that's that kind of throws that out the window. Almost. You, you really have to see development 
And that's a little bit tougher one just to lay out. All right, Cody, uh, how do the Colts feel about Jacob Eason? Oh, boy, wouldn't be a pot without a Jacob Eason question. They've had a year to see him practice, but the fans really don't know what's going on. I feel like the Colts reached their ceiling with Rivers, and it's not enough to win a playoff game. Yeah, Cody, I, I'll say this. I think it can be enough under the right circumstance. I, I do think this team can win a playoff game with Phillip Rivers, but you know, going on the road, facing a 2C, that's just, that's, you know, a little bit less than ideal. Now, Eason, the dude practiced, what, six times all year? Took actual reps and practiced six times? All scout team? I mean, you know, that's like handing a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old keys to the BMW. You just... You can't do that until you see him in a more real evaluation settings. All right, lastly from Doug. Hey, Kevin, it's a tough loss today, but I thought there was a lot of good from two rookies in a big playoff game. Taylor and Pittman. Do you think Pittman takes the next step as wide receiver number one next season, or do you think that role still belongs to T.Y.? Yeah, Doug. Um, I, again, I thought Michael Pittman individually probably one of the biggest bright spots, certainly, from today. And I just I, I love seeing a little bit more to his game. Man, that that deep 50-50 ball and just a few more of kind of that X wide receiver stuff out of him, that was really encouraging. You know, he had had kind of a a quiet December, but I thought he took a big step forward today. And And I do believe he has the ability to be the number one wide out. Having said that, I still think wide receiver is a very big need this offseason. And we'll uh we'll see how that plays out. Um, I think I got a couple that just slid in here. I wanted to sneak in Jordan. Hey, Kevin did Phil's uh, press conference after the game, give you a vibe that he will hang it up or is it just emotions from losing the game? Jordan, I think it's just emotions, man. I think it's just, he is such a freaking competitor. And, and I guess I'll say it now. I, you know, we know where Philip Rivers is as a quarterback. And I've mentioned that many times, but as a teammate, as a competitor, as an athlete, as a fan of a team, gosh, you got to love. He just pours himself into it. And, and I guess I feel kind of a similar feeling about Ian Book with Notre Dame. Like, I know there's a ceiling. I know Ian Book isn't a, whatever, top five college quarterback. And yeah, I mean, there are limitations, but the guy invests so much. And. Rivers has had a tremendous, tremendous career, but this is just the elephant in the room, and I think that's where his emotions came out of just knowing it's a missed opportunity. And, and they really believed. They re- Frank Reich got that team to believe. And, and that's another thing. I mean, you talk about credit to Frank. I mean, they played loose. They, they were in that game from the onset. It really controlled that game. All right, I think that's everybody. Jordan, thank you again. I I, I think Phillip plays next year, but that's just me kind of gut, very you know, five-hour-after-the-game reaction. So we'll see how all that plays out. Um, like I said earlier, we'll come back sometime next week with a recap of Frank Wright, Chris Ballard, some players talking um, at the end of the season. Colts are sending out their media schedule as we speak. Um, looks like Frank's going to talk three o'clock tomorrow. Some players at 11 a.m. Um, again, we'll, we'll wait and see on kind of when, when Chris is going to talk. So 
that'll probably be when we come back as long as it's not like, I don't know, next Friday or something. I think every GM, I think talks within a week after the season ends. I believe that's kind of an NFL rule. And I guess lastly, just, you know, thanks to everyone that tuned into beers with Bowen on Thursday. Uh, I think a few of those overs hit. So I think we had the over on Taylor over on Pittman over on Josh Allen yards over on points. Um, I think those all hit. So yeah, won you a little bit of money there. And, um, and I, and I tweeted this out on Saturday night and I'll, and I'll say it here. Just thank you guys so much for listening all season long. You know, I, uh, I know what it, what it's like to be a fan. It, it can be a wave of emotions. And at times you probably think I'm the biggest idiot in the world and, um, couldn't disagree with me more, but I genuinely, genuinely appreciate the passion, uh, the loyalty, and the curiosity as well from everyone out there, just with questions, thoughts, comments. Um, it means a whole lot. And for those of you that you know read my content, that means even more to me because I really appreciate that. And that's going to be really consistent throughout the off season as usual, or even watch us, you know, beers with Bowen or some of the other video stuff that we do over on YouTube. So I know today sucked and I get that. Um, like I said earlier, these opportunities you, you don't take for granted. Um, I think there's a lot of encouraging things about this team moving forward. There's a lot of big questions that need to be answered, but um, I still think it's a good time to be a Colts fan moving forward. This is disappointing. You made a lot of win now moves and you expected to be playing, I think past wildcard weekend. That's kind of the, the thought process, I think, with, with, with some of those moves. Um, but still, from a young guy standpoint, you know, when you're talking about Taylor, Hines, Pittman, potentially Campbell, you know, Nelson, Smith, Kelly, Buckner, Leonard, Okariki, Willis, Blackman, Sanchez, Rhodes, Hot Rod, George Odom, shout out to him as an all-pro. There's a lot of really good young talent on this team and um now you gotta sustain that deal with some cap situations and then answer some big questions in free agency and the draft so we'll have it covered all off season long we're not going anywhere one pod every single week sometimes two a week during the off season and uh, we'll come back next week midweek so thank you everybody i've enjoyed it and uh we'll talk to you midweek